live from cities and towns throughout the Pacific Northwest, it's Portland Story Theater's On the Road series. May the narrative be with you. When I was a boy, my dad and my uncle would take me to a place that was so wonderful, so magical, so special, that even now, all these years later, just hearing the, the, the name of that place, Saranac Lake, evokes a whole flood of feelings and memories like nothing else does for me. Every year, either on Memorial Day weekend or Labor Day weekend, we would go 350 miles north from New York, where we lived, up into the beautiful Adirondack Mountains. And we would go to Saranac Lake, and we would go down to a little marina there called Dusos, and we would rent a little outboard motorboat, and we would go out and we would camp on an island in Saranac Lake. Saranac was a beautiful lake, very long and narrow, and lots and lots of islands. Some of them were very large and had multiple campsites on them. Some of them were very small. And if you got one of those small islands that just had a single campsite, well, then you would have this entire island to yourself, right? And there would be other people out camping on the lake and boats going by, but on your own little island like that, you would have this sense of isolation and this sense of wilderness that you just cannot get at any kind of a state park campground situation where you drive in and there's people right next door and they have their radio playing on the picnic table. So Saranac was just this special, wonderful place. It was just my dad and my uncle, my two favorite people in the whole world, and my brother and I, and it was like heaven to me, right? Five days of fishing and farting and telling dirty <laughs> jokes and, and reciting narrative poetry around the campfire and just being part of this little circle, this, this, this circle of the menfolk of the family. It was, a, it was a real gift. It was a real special thing to me. And even though it was only five days out of every year, those five days were all out of proportion, and Saranac became this place that was very, very important to me. It became the center of my spiritual universe. When I was 16 years old, I went off to college, and uh, somehow of all the SUNY, the State University of New York campuses around the state of New York, somehow I wound up going to SUNY Potsdam little tiny godforsaken town in northern New York. Uh, Potsdam really had nothing going for it except that of all the SUNY campuses, it was the one that was closest to Saranac Lake. So I started college there at Potsdam in September and in October of that year, my Nana died, my mother's mother, my last remaining grandparent and I went back down to New York for the funeral and it was a it was a very sad time for all of us. Our Nana was just a really special woman, very beloved by all. And I, I wanted to stay there with the family, but I had classes to go to and homework to do and assignments that were due and I had to go back to school and my dad took me to the Greyhound bus station for the long ride, 10 hours ride back to Potsdam, New York. And I had just got settled in my seat on the bus when who comes walking down the aisle of the bus with his guitar case in his hand but the great Canadian folk singer, Ron Negrini. 
who none of you have ever heard of. Right? Not quite Gordon Lightfoot, but I knew who this guy was because a few weeks before that he had come to my college campus and played at the coffee house and I had gone to see him and I thought he was super cool. So I waved and like hi and he sat down next to me, put his guitar in the rack and we became fast friends for the next uh, number of hours. I shared my lunch with him and Ron got off the bus at Watertown to take another bus that would take him home to Canada. But just before we parted ways, he rummaged around in his backpack and he pulled out a book. And he opened it up and he wrote a few words on the inside cover. And as he, we parted, he, he handed me this book. He said, read this book, man, you'll really dig it. And he walked down the aisle and I never saw him again. <clears throat> well, the book was called Black Elk Speaks. And Ron was right, I really did dig it. Black Elk Speaks was this amazing book. It was the life story of Black Elk, a holy man of the Oglala Sioux. Black Elk was born in 1863. He was a second cousin of Crazy Horse. He fought at the Battle of Wounded Knee in 1890. He just had this amazing life at this amazing time in history. But the gist of the book, the real heart of it, was Black Elk recounting how at the age of 10, he had had a great vision. And in this vision, the six grandfathers of the universe, the grandfathers of the north and south, the east and the west, the world above and the world below, had taken him to their flaming rainbow teepee in the world above, and they had shown him the meaning and the purpose of his life. And they had laid a great task upon him. They had told him that it was, it was his lot in life, that it was his destiny to, to save his people and lead them back to their traditional way of life and to make everything be the way it was before the coming of the white settlers. And Black Elk spent the rest of his life trying to make that happen, trying to make that vision into a reality. Now to Black Elk, Having received such a powerful vision and such a powerful charge, such an important task at, at such a young age, at the age of 10, was a heavy, heavy, heavy burden. But for me, at 16 going on 17 there, I was at a very difficult time in my life. I was way too young to be away at college and living on my own, away from my parents. Uh, things were not going so good back at home. My high school girlfriend, who I had left behind, was uh, running around with, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry, and Larry, Moe, and Curly, too. <laughs> and that was really hard for me. And I just lost my beloved grandmother, my nana. I was sort of lost and adrift. I didn't know what I was supposed to be studying at college or what I was supposed to do with my life. And I thought, wow. Wouldn't that be cool if the six grandfathers of the universe would take me to the flaming rainbow teepee and show me, like, this is the purpose of your life, dude. This is, this is what you're supposed to do, right? Wow. I, I longed for that kind of guidance, you know. So about a week later, I'm in the student union on the college campus in between classes. I'm grabbing a cup of coffee or a snack or something. And by now, it's early November, and the geese are migrating. And looking out the window of the student union, I can see a flock of geese in that ragged V formation flying south. 
And something about that compels me. I've got to go outside and see them better and maybe hear them. And I go out the door onto the patio there and the geese are flying low and now I can hear them honking. And I thought that I had never heard such a lonesome, mournful, plaintive sound in all my life. And my heart leapt up into my throat and as they flew by I wanted to shout out, wait, wait, don't go, take me with you. But then the geese were gone and I just stood there staring stupidly for a long time. <laughs> and then I had a funny thought. I realized that if I were to follow in exactly the direction that the geese had gone, it would take me straight to Saranac Lake, my spiritual haven, my happy place. So I decided that the next weekend, you know, schoolwork or not, assignments, papers, I was going to go to Saranac Lake and I was going to go on a modern day vision quest of my own. And that's what I did. I threw a few things in my backpack and I hitchhiked 75 miles down to Saranac Lake. I went down to the little marina, Dusos. Now, of course, I couldn't really afford to rent an outboard motorboat, so I rented a canoe. And I got in the canoe, I threw my backpack up in the front, and I sat in the back, and I started to paddle. Now, I was not an expert canoeist by any stretch of the imagination. I had canoed a little bit before, but I don't think I had ever really canoed by myself. And uh, I was just not that strong a paddler, and it was very, very windy on the lake that day. And even though my backpack was in the front of the canoe, my weight in the back way out, outweighed that, and my bow was up in the air, and every little puff of wind that came across the surface of the lake would just sort of swing my canoe around and, <laughs> you know, send me back. And I am just working hard, and I'm sweating, and I'm, I'm really not, you know, making much speed. I think it took me three and a half hours to paddle out to Partridge Island, which is a trip that usually takes 10 or 15 minutes in the little outboard motorboat. And, and I'm, by the time I get there, I am just exhausted. And I pull my canoe up onto the island there, and I notice that dark, dark, ominous-looking clouds are gathering in the sky. Well, I start a little fire and I get out my army surplus mess kit and I fix myself something to eat. It was probably, you know, pork and beans or some, you know, manly kind of camping food like that. And, and I eat that all up and by the time I'm done and I'm rinsing out my plates, it is starting to rain. I'm feeling a few drops. Now, of course, I hadn't brought a tent with me, right? That would have been way too sane and logical and responsible. Who, who needs a tent camping in the Adirondacks in November, right? <laughs> <coughs> I had a tarp, but I thought back to all those stories I had read growing up about the, the mountain men and the voyageurs, right, and their birch bark canoes going, you know, up the Missouri. And I, I remembered reading how they would, they would turn their canoe upside down and take shelter under the canoe. So I thought, well, okay, I'll do that. And I pulled the canoe right up onto the island right next to my fire, and I turned it upside down. I laid my tarp out underneath it, and I put my sleeping bag out. By this time, it is really starting to get dark. And I take off my boots and I get into my sleeping bag. And I'm, I'm under the canoe, and the rain is starting to drum on that metal canoe, that aluminum canoe. And you know that wonderful, wonderful sound of the rain drumming like on a tin roof or a, a patio roof or an awning of some kind and you're 
underneath and you're snug and you're dry and, and I'm thinking, yeah, man, this is it. I am killing it. I'm, I'm crushing it here, right? I'm, I'm safe and snug and dry under my canoe like the voyageurs and I'm, I'm doing it here, man. I'm living the dream. And that's when I heard the first crack of thunder and I saw the first flash of lightning. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I wasn't so sure that being underneath the aluminum canoe was such a good idea. And I'm racking my brain, and I'm thinking, geez, I wish I had paid attention in ninth grade in earth science when they taught us about lightning and about electricity, and like, is, is aluminum a good conductor of electricity, or is it a bad conductor? And I'm, I'm laying on the ground, so does that mean that I'm grounded, and is that a good thing, or is that a bad thing and like does lightning hit like the highest point or does it hit the the surface of the lake or does it hit the idiot under the aluminum canoe <laughs> oh man by this time it is really dark and the storm is really increasing in in intensity and the rain is coming down and the lightning and the thunder it's so loud and when the when the lightning strikes, it just illuminates everything. It's just blindingly brilliant. And when it dies away, it is pitch black. I cannot see a thing. There is not a light, not a cabin, not a camp, not a road, not a headlight. There is nothing to be seen. It is just complete and utter darkness. And the, the storm is coming closer and closer and the rain is really pounding on the canoe now. And all of a sudden there's a crack of thunder that is so loud and so close and it scares me so much that I sort of involuntarily jump up and I hit my head on the underside of the canoe and I yell out, help! <laughs> and that's when I realize that I have never never ever been so utterly alone before in all my life there's nobody else camping out on the lake nobody even knows where i am nobody is coming to help me nobody is coming to save my sorry ass i have no one to rely upon but myself by this time the rain has found its way under the canoe it's running in it's on my tarp my sleeping bag is wet i'm starting to get cold i'm shivering and i lay there under that canoe for hours and hours with the lightning and the thunder and i prayed to moses and jesus and buddha and the six grandfathers of the universe please 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 just let me live through this night just let me live to see one more day. Gradually, gradually, slowly, the storm moves down the lake. The rain is a little bit less heavy. The lightning and the thunder are less frequent and less intense. And slowly, 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 the storm moves down the lake. And finally, the rain stops. But I spend the rest of that night just shivering under my canoe. I'm wet and I'm cold and it's so dark that there's really no difference when I close my eyes or I open them. It's just all pitch black. And I don't know if I even slept or not, but gradually, gradually, slowly, after what seemed like a long time, I thought that maybe there was a little bit of gray light in the sky. And then after another long, long time, it was light and I could see. And I crawled out from under that canoe and I was never so happy to see 
the new day as I was that morning. I had a change of dry clothes that I had kept dry in a plastic bag in my backpack and, and they had not gotten wet in the rain and I, I changed into those dry clothes and I made myself a fire and I made a little pot of coffee and I ate an entire package of Fig Newtons for breakfast, <laughs> breakfast of champions. And then I broke down my camp. Now, after the storm had gone <coughs> off down the lake, it had become unnaturally calm. And that morning, the surface of the lake was just as still as could be, smooth as glass, like a mirror. And all the beautiful trees, the pines and the cedars and the hemlocks on the shore of the island and all the shorelines there were just reflected in the water. And as the day began to warm up just a little bit, a, a mist rose off the surface of the lake and everything took on this really mystical kind of a quality. I broke down my camp and I threw my backpack up into the bow of the canoe and I collected two or three big heavy rocks off the island and I laid them in the bow of the canoe too, hoping that they would balance out my weight when I got in and sat in the stern. And I pushed off and I dug in my paddle and I just flew over the surface of the water. It was like I had superpowers. And I paddled the canoe all the way back to Dusos in about 20 minutes. And I turned in the canoe and I hitchhiked 75 miles back to school at Potsdam. Well, I didn't have any kind of a vision or learn the purpose or the meaning of my life. But I did kind of sort of learn how to paddle a canoe by myself. And I knew that my dad and my Uncle Ron would be proud of me when they heard what I had done. And even though I never got to go and visit the six grandfathers of the universe in their flaming rainbow teepee in the world above, I like to think that they heard my prayer that night on Partridge Island. Mm -hmm.